All right. Welcome to Chalk Talk, everyone, a podcast of real talk for real educators. I am Kay. And I am Steph. Awesome. How is everybody? It's fall here. That's for sure. It is fall. Absolutely. And I'm in a different part of the country as we speak. So it's fall here too. (laughs) So it might even be cooler there than it is here today. I don't know. It's possible. It's possible. I know that it was very cool this morning and I thought, wait a minute, it was 90 degrees last week. What's going on? (laughs) But holy smokes. Um, Just so that everyone knows these discussions and opinions are not representative of our work organization at all, uh, or even our viewpoints sometimes. And, you know, we were just COVID bored and made this little beautiful thing that has turned into something beautiful. And we're so happy that you're here. Did you just coin a term COVID bored? (laughs) Yeah, we were COVID bored. Yeah, there's a lot of words that you could put after a dash in COVID, but um, (laughs) I don't think I can say them and keep our our, um, listening public. Yeah, that's true. Yes. That would, that would yeah. definitely not be a PG type of podcast anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I know that I, you know, I, I, it's not, it's not my first forte out underneath my rock of life. I do. I do know people curse in podcasts. <laughs> yes, yes, they do. Even the word curse maybe just sound like I'm 80. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> Yeah. So any, so anyway, you, anyhow, you just put in some COVID, we were COVID bored. Choose, yeah, choose your own hyphenated COVID-like word and we'll let you decide. Absolutely. So when you're bored, what, what motivates you staff? Oh, um, I am the worst. So like, I know, you know, (laughs) being bored is a state of mind and I know I can talk myself out of it, but I literally said this yesterday. I'm so bored. Um, (laughs) I, Oh yeah. It's terrible. I would say, let's see, what does motivate me? I, I don't know if it motivates me when I'm bored, but like, I like long-term goals. So I like to like think, I don't know, down the road, I don't know, six months Mm -hmm. or five months and then kind of back map what it's going to take for me to get there and then do those steps. So. Oh, I I need you as my personal life coach then. Oof. (laughs) I don't like that at all. Oh yeah. I like big picture big picture goals, I think, but I also like the little detailed steps in between. So I don't know what that is. I don't know. I, okay. I am going to say yes, to a certain extent, I like to have like an end goal and I like to see the steps come to fruition in that end goal. So I don't know it. Did I just say the exact same thing that you did? I think so. (laughs) In different words. Yeah. Um, I was thinking more of like gardens and recipes. Oh. I think you're thinking systems. I am and, thinking systems. Well, you I don't, know, I mean, grown up things. Yes. The sun motivates <laughs> Yeah. The sun motivates me. How about that? The sunshine. Yes. Um, motivates me. Yeah. Let's see what else motivates me. Um, bad I weather saying, motivates me to binge watch TV. Yes. Bad weather for it's, sure. Yeah. Um, I would say my nephew motivates me. Yeah. Kids motivate me. Yes. I'm, I'm motivated by youth. I just, uh, maybe I'm jealous, but uh, they motivate me and they, they also inspire me. So it's like, could I just be more like that five-year-old if I could? Well, I'd probably get into a lot of trouble, but if I could just be like that 
kid and see things maybe through rose colored glasses. Yes. That would be lovely. Wouldn't that be awesome? Food motivates me. Oh yes. The carrot at the end, the mm-hmm. little dangling mm-hmm. carrot. Food I mean, really, and, yeah. And food really motivates me if I don't have to cook it. Ooh, like, direct it, opposite for me. Oh, see, if someone just says like puts food in front of me, I'm all in, but I don't really want to do anything to get the food. <laughs> so maybe I should make you something. I think this is a new plan. I'll be your life coach around large, <laughs> large projects for food. I'll work for food. <laughs> that. Now, would that be an intrinsic or an extrinsic <laughs> motivator? Food? Well, the food is the extrinsic motivator for sure. Wanting to help and assist a friend is intrinsic. <laughs> that it, it's so interesting that you bring that up, Steph. Because anyone, anyone who has studied educational motivation has likely heard of, the, of this episode's guest, which I don't know about you. My mind is blown. Um, that this individual said yes and graced us with his uh, expertise. Um, author and lecturer on education, human behavior, parenting, none other than Alfie Cohn. Yes, who Whoa. talks about a lot of things related to like those three things you just talked about, um, yeah. has had written many, 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 many books and many articles mm. and essays. And I know some of his stuff, just even with people I've talked to are hotly debated, especially with things like grading oh. and motivation, as, which is what we're going to mainly talk about today. Um, you know, yeah. rewards, punishments, all of that stuff. So he, he talks about it all. So he sure does. And I thought it was really interesting when we were, you know, Steph and I do homework for these episodes, <laughs> just so our listeners do know. And when we were, you know, digging into Mr. Cohen's website, um, this is directly off of it. So, and I quote, Cohen's criticisms of competition and rewards have widely, uh, have been widely discussed and debated. And he has d- been described in Time Magazine as perhaps the country's most outspoken critic of education's fixation on grades and test scores. But you're right, Steph, we, we could have spoken for days with mm-hmm. our guest, but we are narrowing it down to motivation. I think mainly Uh, at least in my mind, because I'm hearing so much of, um, uh, from the teachers that we are blessed to work with every day about, you know, COVID did something, you know, kids, student motivation has always been talked about. I mean, Mm -hmm. as long as I've been in education, we've always talked about what motivates these kids and, um, COVID did something to kind of ramp up that conversation. So we're going to, we're going to have a little chit chat. All right. Well, let's have that chit chat with Mr. Elfie Cohn. Thank you everyone for joining us today. Again, we have Elfie Cohn with us. And so as we get started, just a quick, you know, how did you become interested in this idea of motivation and uh, specifically related to students? I guess it was a combination of my having been a student myself, of course, as well as a teacher for a while, and then becoming interested in a range of questions on human behavior that I wrote books and articles about um, and gradually became more interested in education in particular and how that intersected with motivation. Awesome. Thank you. 
That is great. We know, we know, Elfie, those of us who have been in education for even a little time or a lot of time have followed your work and you've written numerous books on it. But um, can you please uh, tell us a little bit about the research and um, what you have learned uh, around student motivation? And can you talk about that research and what we should consider when when we're attempting with all you know, best intents and, intents and purposes to, to motivate and engage our students, especially during this time of COVID? Well, I think the answer I would give, um, there, may be, there may be additional challenges with respect to, to COVID, but um, the answer would be the same, which is that we have to begin by identifying a myth about motivation, which is that it comes in one flavor. There's a thing called motivation, and you can have a lot of it or a little of it or none of it. It can go up or down as if it's on a hydraulic lift. If that were true, then we would want more of this stuff called motivation. We would talk about motivating our kids. But the reality is one of the most important findings in psychology in the last half century is that there are different kinds of motivation, and the kind matters more than the amount. More com the most common distinction that's made, and it is an oversimplification, but it's a lot closer to the truth than seeing motivation as a single thing, is to distinguish between intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. Many teachers, probably most teachers by now, know what those words mean, kind of, but then they often go back to class and act as if there was just a single thing called motivation. So if you need a refresher course, intrinsic motivation is a fancy term for finding meaning or joy in what you're doing for its own sake, in its own right. Extrinsic motivation is when something outside the task, extrinsic to the task, is used to manipulate you to do it. So you're extrinsically motivated when you're told there's a reward if you do something or do it well, or a punishment if you do what you're not supposed to do. Now, what's important about this is not just that intrinsic and extrinsic are different. It's not even that intrinsic is better, though it is. The important finding is that intrinsic motivation is undermined by extrinsic motivators. Or to put it the other way around, if I could summarize more than a hundred studies in a in a single sentence, something I rarely attempt to do on a podcast, the more you reward kids for doing something, the more they tend to lose interest in whatever they had to do to get the reward. And so, for example, if your desire for some reason was to kill kids' interest in reading, the best way to do that is to give them a prize for reading books. It doesn't matter if it's a grade or a sticker, a gold star, a pizza party, you know, or even a patronizing pat on the head. Good job. I like the way you, you did that reading. Any of those things are extrinsic inducements, and they have the effect of making kids less excited about reading. And what's true of reading is also true of writing, of science, of art, of computer coding, whatever. In fact, it's also true for non-academic stuff. So, for example, research has found that 
children who are frequently rewarded or praised, remember praise is just a verbal reward, for, do, for, for being helpful, become more selfish and less likely to help in the future. So rewards are an excellent way to destroy the intrinsic motivation that uh, we're hopefully trying to promote in kids over the long term. That's the key finding backed by research that, that educators need to keep in mind when they think about motivation, uh, along with the related finding that it doesn't make sense to talk about how do I motivate these kids. I don't care how motivated your kids are. I care how your kids are motivated. You, you, can't, you, you can make um, kids do things. That's what rewards and punishments are so good at. But you can't make them want to do those things. The intrinsic motivation can be nourished and sustained, but it can't be, you can't make it happen. The question is, how do we work with kids to create a culture, a climate, uh, a curriculum that helps to tap and nourish and sustain and maybe help to recover their intrinsic motivation? I appreciate making that connection to things that aren't, I mean, empathy and you know, being gracious are definitely related to academics, but they're not necessarily directly aligned to those academic skills. So it's interesting to hear how motivation, intrinsic, and extrinsic affect both of those types of things too. Um, as you said, teachers know those terms, but I don't think we necessarily sometimes see the connection outside of the academic arena or know the research behind it. Yeah, and they, that is a, a key connection there. For example, really bad, destructive programs like um, that that offer rewards for reading books, you know, are destructive according to the research. For exactly the same reason that terrible programs like PBIS or Class Dojo, classroom management and school-wide manipulative programs are destructive to their social and moral growth. In both cases, they're about doing things to kids, not working with them. In both cases, they are extrinsic inducements that undermine intrinsic motivation. Um, and in, in, in both cases, they spare us having to do the hard work of figuring out how to authentically question not only our methods, but our goals. You know, rewards of all kinds are, are ways, are easy for, that's why they're so seductive to teachers and parents and managers for that matter, because you don't have to think about, is this a reasonable expectation? Is this developmentally appropriate? Is this really in the child's interest or for my own convenience? You know, if you use a reward or a punishment, if you think what's the best technique to get this outcome, you never have to question the goal itself. So with that in mind, um, you know, obviously we want to instill or reinstill, you know, that intrinsic motivation in students and um, on top of removing all those types of extrinsic motivational programs or tools, what would be some practical tips for teachers so that we can get that intrinsic motivation back into our, back into our students, so to speak? Right. I mean, let's not skip over step one too, too quickly there. 
getting rid of any kind of reward or punishment, including the good jobs, which is, again, just a verbal doggy biscuit, is, is critical. It's as important to think about what we need to stop doing as to what we need to do differently or start doing. But the answer there will depend on our specific goals. You know, uh, rewards and punishments, besides asking so little of us, besides being uh, pretend to be one size fits all. Whereas the answer that I would give you to how do we sustain and nourish interest in, in reading or math is going to be a very different set of answers from the question, how do we help kids create community or become generous, caring people? I mean, I wrote a whole book just about that last point. You know, these, these are separate and they're more complicated and they ask a lot more of us. So, you know, uh, the, the, the specifics of how to create a caring community with kids and help them develop a genuine concern about the well-being of their classmates has to do with the creation of community and also giving kids a lot more say about, about what's going on. That's one of the few through lines that applies to all the different domains, by the way, in terms of what does it mean to work with kids instead of treating them like pets which is what, you know, classroom management programs are typically about, or, you know, PBIS is problematic, not just because it's manipulative, not just because it's counterproductive, but because it takes the goal for granted. And the goal is typically about doing whatever they're told by people who have more power, not about helping them to become uh, lifelong learners and who are are caring and generous people and, and so on. So the one of the few things that all the working with strategies have in common is giving kids more say about what they're doing, doing less telling and more asking. Kids learn to make good decisions by making decisions, not by following directions. And all sort of motivational programs that involve some version of reward or consequence um, are really about getting them to follow directions. That's a lot of food for thought, especially with the, um, you know, making that connection to the non-academic uh, programs that might be out there, classroom management, for example. But kind of shifting gears to the academic side, what does your research tell us about the effect of traditional grading and the uh, signing of homework to to student motivation? Well, grades and homework are two different domains, each with its own pile of research that I've written about pretty extensively, as have other people. But one thing that grades and homework have in common is that they are probably the two most effective way to destroy kids' curiosity. In the case of homework, I'll just point out very briefly that... um, No controlled study, to the best of my knowledge, has ever found any benefit to any kind or amount of homework before kids are in high school. And newer, better research even finds that there's really no need for it even in high school. But if if kids are being forced to work what amounts to a second shift of academics after a full day in school, which is what homework basically is, the primary effect, uh, the research doesn't show any benefit academically or in terms of skills or disposition. All it does is, is make kids less excited about learning. 
and it also, in the process, creates uh, anxiety and and uh, you know uh, family conflict and and less time for other stuff. Uh, with grades, the research finds three robust effects of giving any kind of grade, even if you're doing one of the sort of tarted up versions of the status quo called standards-based grading. Doesn't matter if you took a whole bunch of kids and you gave them all the exact same same assignment and you divided them randomly into two groups. One gets grades, the other doesn't get grades. The three effects, the differences on average will be this. One, the kids given a grade will become less interested in and excited about the topic and perhaps about the whole field like math or writing. Uh, again, remember the assignments are identical. The only difference is getting a grade versus not getting a grade. To the best of my knowledge, every study that has ever looked at the difference between grades and no grades, whether it's elementary school, high school, or university, has found that grades undermine interest in learning. Second effect is that kids given grades uh, will tend to pick the easiest possible task if they're given a choice. Not because they're lazy, you know, not because they lack a growth mindset, but because they're rational. I mean, duh. If the point here is to get an A or a hundred, the easier the thing you're doing, the better the chance that's going to happen. So grades kill intellectual risk taking. And the third effect is that the kids given trying to get a better grade will tend to think in a shallower, more superficial way than kids who are not given any grade at all. They're more likely to, to ask, do we have to know this? Instead of, what does that mean? Or how do we know this? <laughs> or doesn't that contradict what we were talking about last week or whatever? That's why the best schools that are really, not just child-friendly, but really about intellectual excellence, never give grades at the end, only to parents a written summary or better yet, uh, a conference, a conversation to talk in qualitative terms, not quantitative terms, uh, how the kids are doing, where they need help, and so on. And the best teachers, even in traditional schools, never put a grade on any individual assignment, even if they're forced to turn in a grade at the end of the term. And you can see why, that how this overlaps with what we were talking about a few minutes ago, because grades are a perfect example of an extrinsic motivator. So they do damage like all rewards do. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I know that's like you said, there's a abundance of research and you've written books about both of those things separately. So thank you for summarizing it down because, um, you know, grading is a passion area for me or not grading, I should say, is a passion right. area for me. And so it's helpful to kind of see, you know, you just kind of talk about those differences and what happens in students. And, um, you know, if, if I had my way, no school would ever grade, but I don't always get my way. So we're working on it. <laughs> <laughs> working on it. Yep. Yeah, we work on it. We need for all this stuff. We need to work on it in two tracks at once in yeah. the long run to organize and mobilize people to change the structures. The fact that, that schools or school districts require report cards is not a fact of life like the weather. It's a political decision that can eventually be changed. But we also have to work in the meantime on the short run to see what we can do to minimize the damage until we've changed the structure. Mm -hmm. Right, yes. agree. So um, 
it, you know, there's, you have a lot of books and we will definitely make sure our readers know about those as we kind of wrap up this, but we always like to ask our guests um, right before we let them go, just what are your final thoughts on, on this topic or your last bits of advice for our teacher and teacher leaders that are listening? Um, in the current climate of, of education, uh, it's very hard to do right by kids unless you have the soul of a rebel, unless you're willing to question authority, unless you're willing to see how much you can get away with, uh, to sometimes ignore or actively subvert moronic mandates that are handed down. You know, because people to whom you report often know less about learning than you do. And they, they may be stupid enough to think that higher test scores are a good goal, whereas, in fact, raising test scores often lowers the quality of thinking and learning because standardized tests measure what matters least. And so you have to be willing to, to see what you can get away with and to talk among yourselves to find kindred spirits who are also unhappy with a lot of aspects of the traditional status quo, who are also looking to figure out how to get rid of these terrible reward programs, how to ungrade, how to, how to say family time is for families to make decisions about, not the school. So of course, we're not going to give homework. Um, in part because we're serious about wanting kids to become lifelong learners. So each of these aspects of traditional education is doing damage. We can't solve the problems by ourselves, but at least we can make sure we don't compound the harm. And in the meantime, you know, we can, we can create caring democratic classroom communities where we're more about working with kids than doing things to them. Wow. <laughs> I'm doing wild applause, wild applause, wild applause here. You've spoken straight to a lot of the heartstrings that, you know, the work that Steph and I are trying to do, and as well as many other uh, educators in our area, Mr. Cohn. So thank you so much for, for breaking it down for us and, and helping us understand this a little bit better. Yes, thank you so much Good, for your my pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much for your time. And uh, you know, as we finish this up, we'll definitely encourage because I know you have a plethora of research out there and uh, books and things like that. And we will point our listeners to those things so they know kind of where to find you and how to dig deeper um, as they want to. Very good. Sounds great. Thanks. All right. So that was fast, <laughs> quick. I mean, lots yeah. of information all consolidated into, you know, a short little Q&A there, which had, I mean, I say short little Q&A, like it had, you know, simple answers, but no simple answers there. Um, no, no, yeah, that absolutely. Was a lot. It was a lot. And, you know, we, um, we want to make sure that again, if you have never heard of Elfie Cohn or his work, you can uh, find him at elfiecone.com and it's A-L-F-I-E-K-O-H-N.com. You will see his wealth of this library of books and essays and research that he's done. And um, uh, when I was browsing his uh, wealth of publications, I, I was 
drawn to public um, punished by rewards. Mm-hmm. And I remember I've read a few of his works, but that one sort of stuck out. And I was questioning myself, like, why, why does that still stick out so many years later? A, I was a new teacher when I read it and B, I was also a parent. So, mm-hmm. you know, dangling those uh, motivational carrots, like if you do this, you'll get this. Oh boy. Was I doing it wrong? I don't know. I don't know. According to him, I was. So, yeah, well, and I don't have the parent angle on that. So I'll let other people speak about that because I don't even want to begin to try to touch that. But <laughs> yeah, punished by rewards is um, one that I remember too. And I, I mean, even just, you know, more recent kind of stuff he puts out, he's very active mm-hmm. on Twitter for those of you who are on Twitter and puts out quite a few things, even if they're just small, you know, statements that get, get people thinking. So yeah, yeah. I've, I've dug into quite a bit, you know, as people know or have heard who've listened before, obviously I have a passion for the grading side of the education world. And so um, have looked into his work and read his work related specifically to the grading side of things, um, mainly in my, my situation. So, and how to, that's and I was, what I was wondering. Yeah, go ahead. What were you wondering? No, I'm sorry. That's what I was, that's what I was wondering if like, what he had to say, how that resonated in your your passion for grading and assessments and, and, uh, student, you know, standards based mm-hmm. and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's just, it's helpful even today. I was working with the district around grading practices and, mm-hmm. you know, it's just helpful to have some of the information, everybody's information, you know, we know we have data from various groups of people. We have information, we have opinions from here, there, other places, um, some supported by data, some not. So just kind of pulling, you know, things together so people can get a well-rounded picture of any one topic and kind of make their own decisions based on their own context. And, you know, and hopefully we're making those decisions based on best practice for kids and not what's easy for teachers and, you know, all of that kind of conversation that goes into it. So it's always helpful to gain another perspective and gain more data. It's now we're getting more and more data around you know, we've had data on traditional grading practices, but now we're starting to get more and more data around standards-based and, you know, there's a new term, which I think we've mentioned in this podcast before, I think uh, Tom Shimmer talked about it on grading. So just lots of different terms, um, but, you know, how they just all affect, like you said, motivation, so. Right, absolutely. So it was, this one was fast and furious and explosive (laughs) and um, probably gave, all of us something to niggle on for a little bit. So awesome. And thank you again, as always, for your time with us today. Um, We would love to hear feedback. We have some guests coming up that we're excited about as well. But as always, we'd love to hear who you Mm -hmm. might want to hear from or, you know, topics that you might want us to discuss. And you can connect to us by any one of the following. Absolutely. So you can reach us at edutalktalk at gmail.com, edutalktalk, all one word at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Join our Facebook group at Chalk Talk. It's the green chalkboard with that says Stephen K on it. Um, follow us on Twitter, Chalk Talk 19 and Instagram, edutalktalk. So until next time, keep leading and keep learning. <laughs> <laughs>